So I'm going to uh, share a PowerPoint that I made. So, um, and good morning to everyone. And we're talking a little bit about the Damodar Lila. Hmm. Uh, so kings, just use the example a little bit of a king. Um, a king, when they are uh, in their kingly pub, they're quite fearful people. You know, you can't, you can't just go up to a king and say, hey, how's it going? Because they might, you know, cut off your head. They, 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 uh, they're full of opulence and, you know, just a raising of an eyebrow in ancient times. And you could be in trouble or a benediction and you could get, you know, uh, whatever you want uh, from them. So the, the, the point being that um, they are uh, not approachable by everyone. And what we know about them usually is more like the official story. Of course, not these days now with uh, butlers uh, telling you, you know, coming out with, uh, with books about you or things like that. But in ancient times, um, or even in America, pre-Watergate <laughs> with presidents, you, you would know more about the official story about the person in, in such a powerful position and not the intimate story. Now, this is an interesting picture here. If you can uh, see it, this is uh, the, the King of England and he's playing with his, uh, his children or his grandchildren. Uh, they're riding on him. And then the ambassador to Spain walks in. That's the person on the... Uh, on the left with the red uh, tights on and the... Um, I'm not um, seeing that. What's that? I'm not seeing what you're Oh, you're not talking. seeing? Oh, I forgot to share my screen. Duh, thank you, Henry. Uh, otherwise it would have been the... Uh, <laughs> the... Uh, <clears throat> yeah, it would have been a big mistake. So thank you. So I was showing you this picture first of uh, a king and one that you wouldn't want to mess around with. It doesn't look like he's in a great mood. This is a, um, a Rembrandt, I believe, picture painting. Um, and then this is the picture of the king, different king, um, playing with his children or grandchildren. And then the uh, ambassador from Spain walks in. And it's a real, as we would say, uh, rasa basa, you know, that the the ambassador to Spain was expecting to see him in his regal attire and, you know, um, sitting maybe on a throne, like it looks like his wife is there. Um, but no, uh, he's on the ground <laughs> being ridden like a horse by his grandchildren. So it's, it's not, you know, it, it's a bit of a rasa basa, um, but rather, you know, for the uh, ambassador to Spain to have, to learn to learn the inner workings of the of the kingdom or of the uh, of the palace, uh, he would have to develop um, first respect him, uh, and then develop some you know uh, friendship and some intimate you know intimate friendship etc. To see him in anything other than his regal highness. So that that's um, you know the ex uh, kind of example that sometimes is uh, used to try to understand a little bit about. Krishna and um, and how the the first nine cantos of the Srimad Bhagavatam they 
want to get us to the place where we can understand how great Krishna is so that when we read the 10th canto, when we read his uh, pastimes as a, as a human-like person, we don't mistake him for a human being. If the, if the ambassador here would have mistaken him, oh, well, he's just a person playing with his kids, uh, he could have gotten in a lot of trouble, right? So with the author of the Chaitanya Charitamrita, he has warned the neophyte devotees to be seriously on guard against the pitfall of neglecting knowledge about Krishna in regard to how great he is. Only when one knows Lord Krishna's greatness can one firmly put one's flinch, unflinching faith in him. So those first, uh, the, all those uh, the different points about creation and, and the different uh, aspects of the first to nine cantos, we, we um, should leave the ninth canto completely understanding um, that, we're, that Krishna is vast and powerful and not to be messed with in one sense. So a few more things about this vastness. So this is a picture from the Hubble uh, telescope. And it's one little, I mean, obviously it's not a panoramic view, right? It's just one small part uh, picture of uh, our universe, of our, well, more like our solar system and galaxy. Um, and it, look how vast it is. It's, it's, it's amazing, right? It's, it's, it's incredible. And this is just a speck of, of, of even what the, what the telescope can see, what to speak of beyond the telescope. So just to give some idea that if you imagine the solar system to be the size of a quarter, right? Okay. And then the sun on that quarter would be like a speck of dust. And our Milky Way would be like the si size of the United States compared to the quarter. Can you imagine the difference between the United States and one quarter? Right? And that's for one galaxy. And there's estimated two trillion galaxies in our universe. So just to give you a little idea of vastness. And then, uh, Shastra says that countless universes reside like seeds within the skin pores of Mahavishnu. And when he exhales, they are all manifested. We cannot imagine the duration of one breath of Mahavishnu, for within one breath, all the, universe, all the universes are created and annihilated. And then the total, you know, I think uh, I should have deleted that because I think that comes up later. So this is, you know, Mahavishnu, uh, Universes coming out of the skin pores, and he and who's the source up there in the top? Krishna in Vrindavan. Yeah, so here's the and the total universes in of the external potency of the Lord are compared to a bucket full of mustard seeds. So each this is not even a full bucket, right? This is just a little display of mustard seeds, and each one of those would be uh, are a universe. That's, and that is at the most one fourth of creation. So, you know, we're supposed to really kind of get an idea of Krishna's vastness. And then we can also think of the, the, the vastness of time. Uh, we're talking about the hundred years of Lord Brahma here. This is from the Bhagavad Gita purport. And these hundred years by earth calculations 
total 311 trillion 40 billion Earth years. By these calculations, the life of Brahma seems fantastic and interminable, but from the viewpoint of eternity, it is as brief as a lightning. Wow. So it's really impossible to understand the great opulence of Krishna. And then Prabhupada, we used to tell this story that there is a story of a frog in a well being approached by a friend who says, my dear frog, I have just seen a huge body of water. What is that water? The frog asks. It's the Atlantic Ocean, the friend says. Oh, the Atlantic Ocean, is it bigger than this well? And then, you know, sometimes Prabhupada would go on to talk about, was it, is it three times as big? Is it, is it six times as big? No, no, it's much, 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 much bigger. Is it 10 times as big? Can't conceive of the, of the greatness of the Atlantic Ocean. And similarly, we, even with a Hubble um, telescope, can't conceive of the vastness of Krishna's creation. So, the, and this is just one fourth of his full creation. And so, this is just to give us a little background for when we start listening to the uh, the tenth canto and Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes and studying the Dhamma Um Before we go on, any thoughts on that part of the presentation? Does it make you feel really big? or really small, or when you got that flat tire the other day, like your your whole life was in ruins for a few hours? <laughs> oh. Oh, that's good, Prabhu, that actually I like uh, a stepping stone uh, before we go any deeper to know about Krishna, like, you know, how opulent he is, how big he is, uh, you know, even though he, he acts like a human, but like, you know, it's just only to make us to understand he's acting like a human, but in reality, he's not. So that is something like a baseline for us to have a baseline of understanding. Yeah. Yes. And it's not that the first nine cantos are baselines per se. I know you're not saying that. They're full of all kinds of wonderful um, instructions. We're, we've, we've studied seven cantos of it. It's full. And at the same time, the, uh, the, high, the, the pinnacle the summum bonum is Krishna's Nara Leela, his pastimes. Anything else? And we just did that in just 10 minutes. All right, then let us uh, continue. Um, so Krishna's Vrindavan pastimes with Mother. We're going to talk about Mother Yashoda, his pastimes, and the Damadar Astakam. Now, there's some lessons to be learned from this pastime and the pastimes in Vrindavan in general. One is just the glory of Krishna. Nara means human being, right? Like uh, Nara Hari, right? Now, you know, um, um, Krishna's human-like pastimes, we, we, we understand them to be the, the topmost. Um, and, and, and because they're human-like, we need those nine cantos. We need to understand Krishna's greatness and his vastness in order to not mistake him as an ordinary human being as we're hearing these pastimes. And we learn that Krishna is not keeping track of all of our, I mean, he's not like his main focus is not keeping track of our sins and our mistakes and all the stupid things we've done in so many lifetimes. He's actually a very loving God. And, and, and what is it? And he's bound 
uh, the love of his devotees. Actually, in one place it said it's not that he's actually bound by the devotees, he's bound by the love of the devotees, the prema. And we learn a lot about loving Krishna as we read about his great devotees, hear about his great devotees, and, and in today's case, uh, Mother Yashoda. So we learn a lot about bhakti and how to love Krishna um, by observing just the amount of love that Mother Yashoda has for him. And there's a lot of lessons in that pastime. And that awe and reverence in relation to Krishna is fine, um, but the intimacy of Vrindavan is the highest uh, expression of love of God. And we know that we, we all probably know the two-finger point that uh, the rope kept on being two fingers too short, and that was our endeavor and Krishna's mercy. Oops, that should be, that should be Krishna, not K. <laughs> anyway, um, so uh, those are some of the lessons that, I, that at least I gleaned from studying this pastime. Um, so let's um, let's get into the uh, Dhammadarastakam a bit. Oops. Oh, I have to share my screen. Thank you, Henry. I felt your presence without even you saying anything. There we go. So, um, you know, the first line, and this is, by the way, uh, very kind of Jiva Tatrabhu and his wife. He printed out and laminated so many um, copies of this for the devotees in the temple. To the Supreme Lord, whose form is the embodiment of eternal existence, knowledge, and bliss. So that's Sat Chit Ananda. And then there's a little uh, description of him whose shark-shaped earrings are swinging to and fro, especially as he's running, right? And who is beautifully shining in the divine realm of Vrindavan, who due to the offense of breaking the pot of yogurt that his mother was churning into butter and then stealing the butter that was kept hanging from the swing, is quickly running in fear of Mother Yashoda but who has been caught from behind by her to that Supreme Lord Sri Damodar, I offer my humble obeisances. And seeing the stick in his mother's hand, he is crying and rubbing his eyes again and again with his two lotus hands. His eyes are filled with fear and the necklace of pearls around his neck uh, uh, due to crying. To this Supreme Lord Sri Damodar, whose belly is bound not with ropes, but by his mother's pure love, I offer my humble obeisances. So, um, the uh, so the pastime is it's so uh, it's so wonderful and it starts a little before this right so Krishna is a little more than two years old right now uh, and he's growing up in in Vrindavan in Gokul and his um, house where he lives is a large estate with a big courtyard and one end of the courtyard is where um, the, the storage for for food like yogurt and ghee and things like that. That's in the southeast corner. And there's, at the entrance, there's this two huge trees, uh, Yamala Arjuna trees, um, that almost form like a V, right? They're a little separated at the base, but then they go out like, like a V. And you can see Krishna's home from miles away because these trees are enormous and, and very, yeah, very powerful and very strong. So it was... Uh, Diwali day, which is coming up soon, right? Um, let's see, today's Akadasi, so four more days, is that right, till Diwali? And they were having a, a big festival. And Mother Yashoda had heard all these rumors about uh, that Krishna stole butter from other houses 
he pinched babies in other houses and all this mischief, all this uh, mischievous things, mischievous things. And so Mother Yashoda, um, she kind of figures that, well, he probably did that because he was thinking that their milk products are better than ours. So sometimes the uh, Mother Yashoda's assistants, maids, maid servants would, um, would help make the, uh, the uh, yogurt and turn it into butter. Uh, but she sent them all home that day, uh, gave them a day off. And she said that, she, you know, so that Krishna won't go anywhere else, he had to prepare, she had to prepare the, uh, the milk products. She's going to do it herself. So she got the most special cows, the most aromatic milk um, to make yogurt. And, and she says, why do you steal why do you steal things from the other houses and pinch babies? And Krishna says, I can't stop stealing. <laughs> the, and, and the reason he's saying that is because he, he has to reciprocate with the love of the other bridge bosses. But he says, mom, I, mom, I just can't stop stealing. Um, he was attracted to the devotion. So then, uh, so mother Yashoda wants to do this and, uh, so Krishna is taking uh, kind of half resting. And, and when he wakes up, he calls for his mother and she's boiling the milk, but she runs to Krishna and she starts breastfeeding Krishna. Um, you know, she was churning uh, yogurt at that time, actually. So the milk uh, boils over. It's even said that everything in Vrindavan is sentient, right? So... Um, even the milk, the milk was saying, well, Krishna's going to be full of the breast milk and won't want my milk. So I'm going to commit suicide by boiling over. Just, I mean, I mean you know, it's all Leela, but that, that was the uh, milk. So the milk was thinking, I'm not, you know, milk was so upset. So um, we know that Mother Yashoda sees it boiling over. She puts Krishna down. She goes to take care of the milk. Um, Krishna's not very happy with this, right? But it's but one lesson to be learned here um, is that because someone could say, why would she put Krishna down and take care of the milk? And the idea is that a devotee is more concerned with service to Krishna than even Krishna himself. Obviously, we're concerned about Krishna, but but she was thinking, oh, I have to make that into you know into yogurt and make it into butter, and that's my service to Krishna. So that was her focus was on uh, was on service to Krishna. So that is a uh, that's quite a um, lesson lesson for us to to learn from from this pastime. Anyway, as we know, Krishna is not very happy with this, and so he gets really, uh, really, really mischievous. He takes a, a stone and he breaks the uh, the the pot of yogurt, and he starts, uh, you know, eating it and uh, making total mess because the yogurt's all over the ground and everything. <laughs> he's, you know, he's got it all over himself and total mess. And he hears his mother coming and he says, oh my God, now I'm really in trouble. So he runs to the Southeast corner of the courtyard to where the other yogurt and uh, um, butter are stored. And of course, what does he do? He climbs up on the uh, grinding mortar, uh, breaks open those, uh, and starts feeding the monkeys. <laughs> the monkeys are all there, you know, like with their hands out. Uh, 
And, you know, and it's total, obviously, this is total chaos now, if anyone knows anything about monkeys. But here we, we also see something interesting. Krishna never forgets the service of a devotee. So the monkeys were, um, were uh, serving Lord Ramachandra in previous millennium. Uh, but they were in the forest, so they had, there was no way Ram could really feed them much. So here Krishna wanted to uh, make up for that by feeding the uh, monkeys the yogurt. So Mother Yashoda comes out. She sees the, you know, because she sees the trail of yogurt leading to the storeroom, right? <laughs> because it's, you know, the way it was on Krishna's foot and uh, feet and all that. And uh, she comes out, as we know. And um, she has her stick in her hand. And that, some people say that's Nanda Maharaj's stick. And there's Krishna getting caught red-handed, right? Feeding the monkeys and making a, making a total mess. So Krishna's very fearful of the stick and therefore is uh, running. Um, and Mother Yashoda is, is running, uh, trying to catch him. And finally she does. Uh, and she says, there's an interesting conversation that, that takes place um, where she says that, um, no, actually, let, before I do that, let me read uh, one thing that Prabhupada says in the purport. Um, he says, yogis cannot capture Krishna by severe penances and austerities, but Mother Yashoda, despite all obstacles, was finally able to catch Krishna without difficulty. This is the difference between a yogi and a bhakta. Yogis cannot enter even the effulgence of Krishna. Yasya prabha prabhavato jagadandipoti. In that effulgence, there are millions of universes, but yogis and ganis cannot enter that effulgence even after many, many years of austerities, whereas bhaktas can capture Krishna simply by love and affection. This is the example shown here by Mother Yashoda. Krishna therefore confirms that if one wants to capture him, one must undertake devotional service. Hmm. Bhaktas enter the planet of Krishna very easily, whereas the less intelligent yogis and ganis, by their meditation, remain running after Krishna. Even if they enter Krishna's effulgence, they fall down. So... Um, so yeah, so Mother Yashoda caught him and then she, she said something that she greatly regretted later. She said, you're just like a monkey. And then Krishna said, well, in that case, I'm going to move to the forest and live with the monkeys. And in this caused Mother Yashoda huge anxiety. Because remember, the, the idea here is that in Vrindavan, everyone is in so much in love with Krishna, they forget all the millions of universes and the opulence. They're just totally in love with Krishna. They don't think of him as God. They just totally love him. And Krishna reciprocates in that way. So she was saying, I can't let my son go to the forest. So therefore, she decides that she has to bind him to the, uh, to the mortar. And first, she takes out some string that's in her hair. And thinks that, that that'll be sufficient. And as we know, it was two, the width of two fingers too short, and that those fingers represent our endeavor and Krishna's mercy. She took out some more string from her hair. That didn't work. She went to neighbors and got rope and string. That didn't, nothing 
worked until she was almost totally exhausted, and then Krishna allowed himself to to be to be bound. So that's then. There's still a little bit more um, to this pastime. So after she ties him, so then the Damodaraskam goes on. And by such childhood pastimes as this, he is drowning the inhabitants in Vrindavan in pools of ecstasy and is revealing to those devotees who are absorbed in knowledge of his supreme majesty and opulence that he is only conquered by devotees whose pure love is imbued with intimacy and is free from all conceptions of awe and reverence. With great love, I again offer my obeisances to Lord Damodar hundreds and hundreds of times. So this is a theme in the Damodarastakam that the, the intimacy of Vrindavan is so great and it, it even uh, eclipses um, the, the general concept of bhakti, of serving God with majesty and opulence. And similarly, and similarly the devotee who writes this praise further that although you are able to give all kinds of benedictions, I don't pray. I certainly don't pray for impersonal liberation. My God, I'm, I'm in so much ecstasy just thinking about your pastimes with your devotees. I don't want anything impersonal. I'm like, forget it. I'm not even the highest liberation of life in Vaikuntha, in the spiritual world, but in awe and reverence or any other boon that you can get from bhakti. I only wish that this form of yours in Vrindavan as little Gopal maybe ever manifest in my heart. What is the use of anything else? So this is just how exalted this pastime is. And then a little description about Krishna and his and the loving relationship with his mother that your lotus face, which is encircled by locks of soft black hair is kissed again and again by Mother Yashoda. Hey, this beautiful vision of your lotus face be ever manifest in my heart. Thousands and thousands of other benedictions are of no use to me. So. The devotee is, is rejecting everything except trying to um, appreciate the love that Mother Yashoda has for Krishna and how Krishna reciprocates with that. So, so then in ecstasy, the devotee is you know, praying, I offer my obeisances to you, O Damodar, O Nanto, Vishnu, Master, O Lord, please be pleased upon me. By showering your glance of mercy upon me, deliver this poor ignorant fool who is immersed in an ocean of worldly sorrows and become visible to my eyes. So we understand two things here that, yes, devotees, great devotees do have this incredible humility uh, about them. And additionally, um, the devotee, the ocean of worldly sorrows can be also understood to be, um, I, 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 I hanker for your, uh, to understand your Vrindavan pastimes more and more. And then, uh, O Lord Damodar, just as the two sons of Kuvera, Manigriva, and Nalakuvera were delivered from the curse of Narada, made into great devotees by you in your form as a baby, tied with a rope to a wooden grinding mortar. In the same way, please give me your own prema bhakti. I only long for this and have no desire for any kind of liberation. So those twin, we all know the story, the twin Arjuna trees were there and Krishna pulled the, the grinding water between them. The, uh, oh, by the way, Mother Yashoda and all the gopis, they had left uh, because Krishna, Mother Yashoda said, well, Krishna's safe now, he's tied up. And she just told Krishna's friends, you please watch him and protect him from any mishaps. And she left the situation. And then Krishna 
right? He was crying the whole time he was being tied by the rope. And the second Mother Yashoda left, he had a big smile on his face with his friends. And he started um, pulling the grinding mortar um, between the two trees. And we know that the trees, these huge, incredibly powerful trees fell down in these two opulent uh, demigods um, emerged from the fallen trees, Nalakuvera and Manigriva. And we know the pastime also, you know, um, that they were cursed to, uh, to be trees because um, near Lord Shiva's abode, they were enjoying life and uh, they called some uh, society women to uh, enjoy with them. And they were in the, in the lake and Narada Muni had just left uh, being with Lord Shiva and he was totally spiritually minded and he sees this and he goes, oh my God, right? <laughs> And, and the, the, the girls are smart enough to understand this is the great Narada Muni. They, they run out of the lake, put on their clothes and leave. But the, but the, um, the stupor that Nala Kuvera and Mani Griva are in, they, they're not uh, embarrassed at all. And Narada just says, how am I, you know, I going to help these two fools? So he curses them to be trees. Um, and they say, oh, my God, they're, they're really upset with that. And he says, okay, but you'll be trees in Nanda Maharaja's courtyard and one day you'll be liberated by Krishna. Mm. But the, the one of the great lessons here for us is that Krishna fulfills the devotee's desire. So he, he, he fulfills the words of the devotee. So Narada, uh, Krishna was thinking, well, Nalakubera, Mani Griva, they haven't done practically any bhakti. But because Narada promised them this, okay, I'll, I'll, I'll arrange for it to be done. And so this whole, in this pastime, one thing he's doing is satisfying the, uh, the, the promise of Narada. So even for us, um, somebody might say, well, you know, there's more to bhakti than four regular principles, 16 rounds, and, you know, following five most potent items of bhakti. Um, and, but we, but Krishna will, because Prabhupada said, you do that, you go back to God, and then Krishna will uh, fulfill those words of, of the Lord. Um, and then, then it's, it's amazing that the, 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 these two um, brothers, they, they have these beautiful prayers to the Lord, and then they say, you know, please let us take your leave. And he said, why would they want to leave? They have Krishna's darshan, but they understood that they weren't yet qualified to understand Braj. And if Mother Yashoda and the gopis came back and they saw these two effulgent demigods, they might like really have some cognitive dissonance. But before they left, they prayed that basically they would never miss Krishna's service or they would always be engaged in service all the time. So, and they did that. Because, you know, they were, they were going back to their most opulent place where they could have, you know, forgotten Krishna. And so they realized that and they said, no, no, please let us be engaged all the time in your service. So this pastime actually has so many instructions for devotees. So I thought I'd briefly discuss it before we move on. So uh, Jiva, you, you, had, you went off video. Any, you want to say something, Prabhu? Uh, just wanted to show me, Srila Thakur has given so much extensive, you know, he is giving so many wonderful things. Uh, so you revealed that it was on Diwali and this particular costume has been uh, performed like unlimited number of times. 
Mm-hmm. Not just once. So we hear about the one thing. But here, uh, Mother Yashoda, she's surprised and all the gopis are surprised. Like they are elderly gopis, they are there. So one thing I wanted to share is like, you know, Mother Yashoda, every day she uh, puts a belt on Krishna after he takes bath and she dresses mm-hmm. him. And she's like, I do this every day, but the mood is different. So uh-huh. how mood can change Lord Krishna's reciprocation is also glorified here. Oh, that's a nice point. She puts on a belt every day, but this time she couldn't. <laughs> Very nice. Very nice. Anything else? Okay. Well, then let us uh, go back. Let's go to the Bhagavatam. That was, I, I wanted to, I, I have to say, I'm kind of using you, Prabhu's as a test run because that's the uh, Sunday talk today is on this and I wanted to uh, try it out. So thank you for uh, indulging me. Um, So let me get to this chapter of the Bhagavatam. Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya Om Namo Bhagavate Vasudevaya and we are, um, gosh, we're almost finished this canto. It seems like we just started it. Amazing. So let me get my notes. So we are on Canto 7, Chapter 14, verse number 1. Maharaj, you just inquired from Narada Muni. So Narada Muni, again, we have Narada Muni in the, in the uh, Damodar Leela. And now Narada Muni and uh, talking to Maharaj Yusri about Varnashrama. So <laughs> quite a few steps down from what we were just uh, listening, but still many spiritual instructions. My, oh, my Lord, oh, great sage, kindly explain how we who are staying at home without knowledge of the goal of life may also easily attain liberation according to the instructions of the Vedas. So again, liberation, not necessarily the topmost bhakti that we were hearing in Mother Yashoda. So Prabhupada writes in the purport, Narada Muni therefore first describes Brahmacharya, Vanaprastha, and Sannyasa because he wanted to stress that sex is not at all necessary, although one who absolutely requires it is allowed to enter Grihastha life or household life, which is also regulated by the Shastras and Guru. Yudhisthira Maharaj could understand all this. Therefore, as a Grihastha himself, he presented himself as Grihamudhati, one who is completely ignorant of the goal of life. A little later, uh, as soon as possible, one should give up his so-called comfortable life at home and prepare to undergo austerity or tapasya. So, um, yes, it's not that every um, grihasta is... um, Again, you have to kind of understand the context. There were actually were brahmacharis. So, you know, that's not exactly what we see in the world today, <laughs> celibate students, right? Um, as a matter of fact, um, probably in present day society in many parts of the world, the unmarried people may have more, <laughs> I don't want to get into the details, they would have more sex life than the married ones. <laughs> but here, uh, because it's, it's kind of relating to a, a different time and a different place. Um, it was understood that, well, you know, 
that that's more of a uh, guihasta thing because the un, prior to being married, one was one was celibate. So I'm just laughing at how how far the world in general is from the um, varnashrama culture. <clears throat> and then the point being made here towards the end uh, that I just read about um, the the idea that. Um, towards the end of life, one really gets serious about it ending. We talked about this when we talked about the Pranaprastha situation. And, and we talked about, you know, the difference between, uh, you know, someone like myself who has a 30-year-old child and someone like uh, Dean who has barely, you know, a little bit more than a 30-month-old child <laughs> in different parts of our life. And, but the, the onus here is on me that I should be becoming more and more serious uh, about devotional practices and, and practicing more austerities. Um, yeah, for that reason, getting prepared for the inevitable. Uh, and, and just stop me if you wanna make any comments or questions. Narada Muni replied, my dear King, those who stay at home as householders must act to earn their livelihood. And instead of trying to enjoy the results of their work themselves, they should offer these results to Krishna, Vasudev. How to satisfy Vasudev in this life can be perfectly understood through the association of great devotees of the Lord. So a few things here. Um, the point about associating with great devotees of the Lord is um, that that was very similar to the point about Narada Muni that the, you know, Dala Kuvera and Mani Griva, they were in, they were in big Maya. <laughs> they were in big illusion. But because just by great fortune, they got the association of Narada Muni. Um, their, their fortunes changed drastically. And so here, uh, how to act in a way to satisfy Krishna's understood also through the association of great devotees. So, we may not, we may be, you know, um, light years away from the devotion of Yashoda, for example, but that point about how important service to Krishna is and how she took that so seriously. So we can get, even from such an intimate pastime, we can glean relevant instructions for, for our lives. And, and I, it's nice to hear that, you know, it's, it's accepted that one uh, earns their livelihood, that one has to do that. Um, and then the idea is that to, to offer some of the fruits of that um, to, to Krishna. Okay. Any questions or comments so far? Okay. And then let us continue. So in text three and four, a grihasta must associate again and again the saintly persons. And with great respect, he must hear the nectar of the activities of the Supreme Lord and his incarnations as these activities are described in Srimad Bhagavatam and other Puranas. Thus, one should gradually become detached from affection for his wife and children, exactly like a man awakening from a dream. So let's read the purport of that. Simply by joining the kirtan, this is a little further down, Hare Krishna, Hare Krishna, Krishna Krishna, Hare Hare, Hare Rama, Hare Rama, Rama Rama, Hare Hare. And by hearing about Krishna from Bhagavad Gita, one must be purified, especially if he also takes prasad. This is all going on in the Krishna Consciousness Movement. Another specific description here is Srinvan Bhagavato Vikshnam Avatara Katamritam. 
it is not that because one has once finished Bhagavad Gita, he should not hear it again. Well, first, let's uh, let's do one thing at a time. So we sometimes, you know, especially if we've been devotees for some time, we sometimes take things for granted. But here it says, kirtan, and then he says, especially if he takes prasadam. Uh, so we we'd sometimes take prasadam or food that's first offered to Krishna, you know, um, yeah, familiarity breeds contempt kind of thing. But it's very, very, very purifying. It's very, very, very purifying. Um, taking prasadam and what to speak of chanting Krishna's name. And that's how we become, as this verse is saying, uh, by hearing the Srimad Bhagavatam, we become attracted to Krishna. Um, and we'll, we'll talk about that last sentence in, in a little while, because that's an important one to understand in terms of how it applies to our lives. Um, but then this next point uh, is, is, is a one that I hope we, we've experienced in our lives, if we've been a devotee for some time. It is not that because one has once finished Bhagavad Gita, he should not hear it again. The word abhikshnam is very important. We should hear again and again. There is no question of stopping. Even if one has read these topics many times, he should go on reading again and again because Bhagavad Kata, the words spoken by Krishna and spoken by Krishna's devotees about Krishna are amritam, nectar. The more one drinks this amritam, the more he advances in eternal in his eternal life. So um, I, 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 you know, can't even figure how many times I've read the Bhagavad Gita, but I would guess, well, I guess it's over 20, and that would be once every two years, and it may be more than that. Um, and it's not like, oh, you know, oh, let me read something else. Um, it, I, one gets new realizations because it's, you're, it's the, the books about Krishna or the books spoken by Krishna, they're, they're conscious, you could say, I mean, they're, they're living things that they, they, Krishna, you know, like, uh, like we mentioned before, Narada Muni, uh, Prabhupada thanks Narada Muni for kindly appearing on the pages of the Bhagavatam in the fifth or sixth chapter of the first canto. So, that, so we're actually associating with these great souls when we're reading. We're associating with Krishna. We're associating with Prabhupada. Um, it's a dynamic spiritual um, experience if we're doing it in the right consciousness. So this is, the, this is such a nice point here that one can go on hearing again and again. You know, there's the... Of course, there's the extreme example of the South Indian Brahmana who was illiterate, but his guru had told him to read the 18 chapters every day. And he would just turn the pages, but do it every day. <laughs> and tears was coming, were coming from his eyes. And Lord Chaitanya said, um, my dear sir, you're reading this every day? And he said, yes, I'm reading. I'm turning the pages, but actually I'm illiterate. I can't understand. And Lord Chaitanya says, okay, well, I can understand that, but why are you crying? And he said, well, I just, the idea of my Lord, remember that opulent Lord whose universes are coming out of the port, uh, is taking the role of a servant of his devotee by driving the chariot. That, that, that just makes me think how wonderful Krishna is. And then Lord Chaitanya embraced him and said, you're the real scholar of the Bhagavad Gita. So uh, any questions, comments, thoughts on either prasadam? 
for the ongoing reading of Hare Krishna. No? Okay. And we will continue. So there's more to this purport. Now, one must find some time for hearing Srimad Bhagavatam and Bhagavad Gita. This is Vedic culture. One should work eight hours at the most to earn his livelihood. And I know that's sometimes hard in this day and age. Um, you know, the 40-hour work week sometimes, especially when we're teleworking, has um, morphed into, well, when does it ever end? <laughs> right? But I, I really, uh, you know, I really like this, you know, at the most, eight hours, which is really what, you know, I work for the government. We're supposed to only put in 40 hours a week, eight hours a day. And either in the afternoon or in the evening, a householder should associate with devotees to hear about the incarnations of Krishna and his activities, and thus be gradually liberated from the clutch of the Maya. However, instead of finding time to hear about Krishna, the householders, after working hard in offices and factories, find time to go to a restaurant or to a club, where instead of hearing about Krishna and his activities, they are very much pleased to hear about the political activities of demons and non-devotees, and to engage in sex, wine, women, and meat, and in this way, waste their time. This is not Krihasta life, but demoniac life. The Krishna conscious move, movement, however, with its centers all around the world, uh, gives such fallen and condemned persons an opportunity to hear about Krishna. And then a little later, then the next part. In a dream, we, we form a society of friendship and love. And when we awaken, we see that it has ceased to exist. Similarly, one's gross society, family, and love are also a dream. And this dream will be over as soon as one dies. Therefore, whether one is dreaming in a subtle way or in a gross way, these dreams are all false and temporary. So, um, how do we understand that if we're married? Are we supposed to just be like totally mean to our wife and kids and say, you know, well, you're to this is totally temporary anyway. And, you know, <laughs> no, it, 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 there's a context here. Um, and, and a cultural, you know, the whole culture. And the idea was that the, the um, <laughs> it's actually kind of interesting, right? It's the, the given in, in this traditional culture was that one would be a good family, you know, if we we're saying, talking about the husband, a good family man, right? Or a good family woman. And that that was just like a given, right? But here in this, in, in the culture we live in, it's like considered quite uh, a exalted thing to be <laughs> dedicated to your family and, um, and to care, you know, to care for them. You know, uh, often if you go to a funeral, they say he was, he was a real family man, right? You, you'll, you'll hear that at funerals and things like that, right? Um, so what, what would be considered like really quite good in our society, because people are sometimes very neglectful, there's domestic violence, there's, um, there's so much divorce, there's um, so much uh, extramarital affairs, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera, et cetera. That it's, it's a different, uh, <laughs> I, I laugh sometimes when I think about that because the assumptions of the culture uh, in, that we read in the Bhagavatam is so different. Um, so, and even for devotees to be, to care for one's family, and especially because they're devotees. Um, so it's not just, so in, in when, when, you're, when you're fortunate, like um, so many um, people here, uh, like um, 
Jiva Tattva and Shakshi Gopal being married uh, at Dean. Um, I'm not sure the others uh, who JPD is, so and I, Udas is not married. Um, so fortunate that you have uh, wives who are devotees. So when we, in this sense, when we serve our family and our, and our children who are devotees, I just saw Jiva's uh, son at the Kirtan last night. Um, we're also doing Vaishnava Seva. We're doing service to devotees. So then it's, it's very, it's much easier um, to make that connection. You're not just, it's not just your wife or your husband, but it's, it's another devotee of Krishna. Um, so if we look at this cultural context where everyone is, is absorbed in their family life, but not thinking about how the time factor is uh, slowly marching on, then these instructions are very apropos. Um, and, uh, but again, you have to look at it in, in other contexts. Like for example, Prabhupada told Bhuri Prabhu, who was one of the early devotees to get married in ISKCON, very early, 1969, I guess, maybe 70. Uh, he said, your first service is to your family. That's what he told them. Your first service is to your wife and family. So things have to be looked at in context. That's what I'm just saying. And I'm going on a little bit about that because one, you know, uh, one could look at this and sometimes in previous decades, sometimes devotees would look at this and say, ah, you know, I, I just uh, forget my wife, forget my children. So that's, uh, it's, it's all a dream. Uh, and for someone who's getting towards the end of their life, that, that's a great way to think. Um, there's other instructions from Prabhupada. So some questions, comments on this? Okay. Well, then we can carry on. Text five. While working to earn his livelihood as much as necessary to maintain body and soul together, one who is actually learned should live in human society unattached to family affairs, although externally appearing very much attached. So there is not, so that, so even if, even if you're going to follow this instruction, it's not that you treat your family like dirt. You just, and, and looking at this, remember this is Varnashram, it's not necessarily Bhakti. So looking at this from a devotional point of view, uh, the unattachment means the attachment to Krishna. And so you're looking through a different lens and then seeing your family members as parts and parcels of Krishna. Um, and then treating them as such. An intelligent man in human society should make his own program of activities very simple. If there are suggestions from, <laughs> I love, if there are suggestions from his friends, children, parents, brothers, or anyone else, he should externally agree saying, yes, that is all right. <laughs> but internally he should be determined, be determined not to create a cumbersome life in which the purpose of life will not be fulfilled. So this is a, a standard thing in, in any coaching uh, career, if one, one, one hires a coach or looking at um, reading self-help books, but we can apply them to Krishna consciousness also, that you, know, you have to have a strong enough burning yes in order to say no to things. I, I, I heard one time a person saying, emails are things that interrupt your day by people who want you to do something for them. <laughs> that was a uh, interesting way, way to look at them. Um, otherwise, we can, uh, 
as this kind of verse is inferring when friends, children, parents, brothers, etc., ask us to do this or go here and go there. We we often just say, oh yeah, of course, I'll do that. Without thinking, is that a priority in my life? Or what to speak of is that, is that fulfilling my purpose of life, you know, of my spiritual life. Um, but even then, even in the, you know, the month in the north in the average day of our life to um you know we sh- we should um the other site in mikabud here akeha to have you know we should be determined to keep the main thing the main thing and here maybe this was a precursor a uh a prediction of the future you know smartphones and things that an intelligent man in human society should make his own program of activities very simple. And it's just, you know, again, if we're looking at our lives, our lives are so complicated compared to what they would have been in bygone days. Just imagine getting notifications on your phone and hearing about some problem three quarters around the, around the world that is, that is no, that is nothing you can do about it. And it just wasn't, the way the world was run, even even forty years ago, you know, you okay, you'd get the you get the evening news with Walter Cronkite, something like that, and you find out what's happening in, in a few places. But otherwise, and you'd read the newspaper, and if it was a good newspaper, um, it might have you know some 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 good things going on. But uh, you didn't have the twenty four hour news feed, and you didn't have everyone who has a computer giving their opinion about any everything and everything. So it, it's good to acknowledge how complicated our life is. And then to take a step back, look at it and see, is there anything I should be doing to make it more simple? Because here, and, and the reason is because that, that simplicity or keep, yeah, keeping our calendar not totally crunched. Like sometimes I look at my calendar at work and I say, oh my God, you know, um, I didn't breathe between nine and five <laughs> that day. Um, because we want to be thinking about higher things, philosophical things. We want to be thinking in a devotional way. And it's very, I don't know if you've ever experienced this. I, I know for myself, it's, it's, it's very hard to switch gears. Like, so say I'm doing some managerial thing or dealing with some conflict. And then the next minute I'm supposed to give a class or chant my japa. It's not so easy to, to shift gears like that, you know, because if one is takes up a lot of certain kind of energy and the other one is a different, different kind of energy and shifting gears. So um, making our life simple again is not becoming a simpleton, but it is looking carefully at uh, what we agree to and what we really want to accomplish. Some thoughts on that? Well, um, I'd say um, I've noticed sometimes that uh, I end up reading a certain part of the text and it seems to apply directly to something going on with you at that particular point in time. And, uh, you know, for instance, um, Canary and I have been spending a lot of time um, just discussing uh, retirement, you know. Really? Like, are, are we going to have enough money and this and that, which... You know, I mean, we're not we're not like wealthy, but they're certainly, you know, we're a lot better off than most. Probably are not the ones that need to be worried about that stuff as much as 
as many, you know, especially on a global scale. And, and yet it's like practically the entirety of um, the week when we were talking, that's, that's what consumed our, um, you know, our thoughts and whatnot. Uh, um, you know, and a lot of like comparisons to other people or how are we relative to this and that, you know, it's, it's very, um, I don't know what the word is, just distracting, I guess. And uh, kind of, a, not going to necessarily say wasted thought, but I guess at a, at a more cosmic level, you know, wasted thought. <laughs> <laughs> well, if you tell her if she wants to feel good, um, compare your retirement to mine and my wife's <laughs> financially. She'll feel a lot better. <laughs> oh, yeah. <laughs> um, but yeah, it, it's, and that's, and, you know, extrapolating from that, it could be if it's not retirement, it's buying a new car or it's, you know, this, uh, you know, whatever. Um, so finding that balance. Mm -hmm. if, if there's nothing wrong with, uh, matter of fact, it's good to think about things like retirement. You know, it's, remember, we, we talked about how, you know, not that it's not good to uh, hanker about the future or lament about the past. That's when the mind just, is on autopilot and it just starts going in those directions, worrying about the future, lamenting about the past. Um, but that's different than actually sitting down and saying, okay, we are going to have retirement at some point and let's look at it. You know, so look, planning the future in a conscious way is fine, but the mind sometimes just takes off and starts, Oh my God, no, we're not going to have enough money. And Oh, you know, I'm going to have to sell it. You know, won't we'll be able to make the payments on the car. You know, and then, you know, our mind is putting us, you know, um, on um, skid row. Yeah. You know. And I'd say without question that the root of it is that sort of, um, I don't know how to put it, but like that, that dualistic thought or that, you know, that, that weighing of, of your situation against others, you know what I mean? Which is very, oh. you know, rooted very much in Maya, right? So. Yeah, yeah, it's very much, and, you know, yeah, we... Comparison is a terrible, is a really bad thing. <laughs> I mean, when it's on that level, you know, well, we're not going to have as much as so-and-so uh, Patel because they, they, they've been saving up and they, and they have that profession and they're going to be able to sell their business. And, you know, right. you know. Uh, and I'm not saying, you know, you or Canario like that. I'm just saying. Um, no, I mean, we are. <laughs> so, I mean, I don't, you know, not terribly so, not more than. Most, but there's certainly that you know an element for that for sure, right. sure. Which uh, like I think there probably is with most people, you know. Um, yes, yeah, still, right. So yeah, and, still and, that's, that element. and that's one of the beauties of Krishna consciousness is that a devotee thinks uh, based on my karma and based on um, Krishna's desire, I I have this situation and I should be satisfied with that. And I don't, you know, and, and those other people uh, that may, you know, um, you know, I'm driving a Prius and they're driving a Tesla. Um, that's their karma. And, and, you know, they, they did some things in this life or previous lives to, to get that. And, and that's, that's cool. That's, that's their relationship with Krishna. And my relationship with Krishna, I'm, I, I, got a, I got a Prius and it drives four wheels. Most people in this world don't have cars. And I have one and I have food, um, you know, I have food and I can still, you know, whatever like that mm -hmm. um, to be satisfied with what Krishna gives us. Jiva Prabhu. 
Hare Krishna Prabhu. So again, uh, thank you for such a nice inspection. So again, uh, one of the things that kind of reminded me is Prabhupada's always, you know, saying, giving his instruction that, you know, during the Brahmohurt, finish your rounds, you know, and Acharyas constantly remind us. And that is something even Lord Krishna, he clearly gives. Sometimes we have to dive deeper than just what we are seeing in words. Like Maismaran Yuddhacha, he's telling Ajun, remembering me fight. Yeah. So similarly, if we do our rounds, if we do our japa, if we do our you know service early morning, very nicely, there is a kind of protection we get. Means I have seen this, and the whole day passes without you know any kind of anxiety because we are able to lift ourselves above the situation that we are in and then look at it you know with proper perspective and yes. what and you know it helps us understand why something is happening appearing to be unfavorable favorable but it could be a blessing in disguise yes you know it has happened so many times you want to drive for the main project you know some most highlighted project and then suddenly you are pushed onto a project that is not, not so well known and all that stuff. And sometimes people become very anxious. They start like, you know, an argument even. But you just accept it and just say that, you know, this is just appropriate for me to perform. And amazingly, when Krishna has his hands in all, everywhere, inconceivable, then suddenly people say, oh, why did we move them there now? That is the most important project and this glory, glorious and so forth. So things just work out. And again, we should not be running after name, fame and glories. That's also something being explained because that causes fall down, right? Pride comes before fall. So Lord Krishna is constantly providing us protection. Acharyas are constantly sending favorable wind our way. And what we get, like you give the example of Frias versus Tesla, means he's providing us something that is sufficient for us to go back home, back to Godhead. If we just have that mindset, I think that would, you know, again, Acharyas are saying it, and we have to just understand those lessons and instructions so that we can live a balanced life. Hare Krishna. Thank you. Yes. So, uh, but it's, 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 thank you for that. And, and this thing about comparison is, um, it is one of the uh, illusory energy's greatest tricks. <laughs> you all, I think what's, what's so tricky about it, you always compare yourself to those immediately around you. So, you know, there's no doubt on my mind that billionaires, when, you know, think about, you know, Elon Musk is thinking about overtaking uh, Jeff Bezos and vice versa. You know what I mean? It's the fact that they've, you know, they're ahead of approximately 8 billion other people in the world. You know, it's, it's the same, I'm sure the same what's the word anxiety that they have that yeah. someone, you know, who's wondering where they're going to get their, their, you know, next uh, gallons of water, you know? Right. I mean? right. Yeah. I mean, that may be a little exaggeration, but, but more so, but it's the same anxiety that, you know, I was discussing about Canaria, you know what I mean? Being able to have sustenance, of course, being a whole other level of anxiety, but. Yeah, that's a whole other level of it. And, and Srila Prabhupada would say that um, if you don't have your basic needs met, 
even if it's in a simple yeah. way, then it's very hard to think of God. You're just thinking about your next meal. Yeah. Um, we're, and like you also point out, you know, you think about the world around you. You don't think about, you know, countries where half the population lives on $2 a day or whatever, you know, whatever it is. Um, but, you know, this world is a place of anxiety and that's one of the causes <laughs> of it is comparing ourselves to, to others. And, and, and it happens, you know, um, our parents may have even done that. Oh, well, so-and-so, you know, got into Harvard, you know, or got into, you know, or did this or, you know, why can't you be like the other kids <laughs> or whatever, you know, it can start even sometimes quite young. And it has to do a lot with our pride and our ego and, and, this is a lesson that you know, I'm still struggling with in my life, um, but not worrying, not being caught up with what other people think of us. You know, uh, it, it's very liberating. I mean, of course, we want people to think, you know, uh, they won't be kind to us because then, then we get, especially devotees, and we get their blessings. But to always trying to think of what what's in that person's mind. What, there's even a saying, right? That. Uh, you know, we worry about what people are thinking about us. And the, the reality is they're not thinking about us at all. <laughs> they're thinking about themselves more than anything else. So this is, and this is also, um, in the second canto, Prabhupada talks about this, about, it's such a beautiful sentence about um, orbiting around society, friendship, and love. Right? Um, I might be able to find the right, the exact... Uh, or I'm not sure if it's orbit or orbiting. No, it's orbit. Is anyone? Um, Gita. Oh, there, I think. Yes. Um, still, we think that we are safe within the orbit of society, friendship, and love. And I think I may have mentioned some years ago, maybe, the, where Prabhupada got that idea of society, society friendship, and love. It was a poem. That he studied uh, in school by um, it's called the Solitude of Alexander Shellkirk, and uh, the point was that he was um, abandoned on an island for about five or six years. Uh, he was, or he was on an abandoned island, and he—I guess he was abandoned, and he was on an abandoned. Island. Anyway, he was stuck on an island by himself for five or six years, and the poem by uh, Culper. Um, has this this line in it, yeah, and Prabhupada really, um, really found it interesting. Uh, let me, I'll share my screen so I can show it to you. Um, here we go. So here, this line here. Society, friendship, and love divinely bestowed upon man. Oh, so he's stuck on the island, right? And he's lamenting that he's missing society, friendship, love, Divinely bestowed upon man. Oh, how, how uh, I the wings had I the wings of a dove. How soon I would taste you again. Right. So, uh, Prabhupada, and so, and so you'll find things like uh, Srila Prabhupada talking about society, friendship, because he got it from that poem, and how everyone's just wants society, because that's what he was. What does he want? He's, he's on an abandoned island. He's not praying to God. He wants society, friendship, and love. You know, that just, that picture of, uh, 
of uh, being with others and then also probably having a little bit more than them. Well, you know, the saying is keeping up with the Joneses or keeping up with the Agarwals, um, depending on where you are in the world. So yeah, it's quite a trap. It's a real trap. It's something to be avoided. And the way to really avoid it is not to just say, not think about it or why do I don't care, but to transcend it by thinking that whatever, you know, I've, I've done my, I've done my best. It's not that I sat around and did nothing, but I do my work. I may even apply for better jobs and this and that. And, and so I do my best, but then it's up to Krishna and it's my karma. And those people have their karma and, you know, I wish them the best and I hope they go back to Godhead. And this is not a competition. Uh, you know, we don't, you, you, otherwise we're, you know, the, the, the cliche that, you know, we, none of, if we're all competing about the same thing, we're probably all climbing up the ladder of success and find that it's leaning against the wrong wall. Okay, anything else on this? Yeah, I, I have a question, um, if you don't mind. Uh, how, how do you look at traveling, you know, and, and I'm talking about like traveling, see the world, not, not business travel within the context of material desire. So I'm sure you're aware. I mean, I'm a traveler. I like to do it. And Canary is literally on, on another level. I've never known anyone that's traveled as much as Canary. And it's A, not an exaggeration. B, something to be said from someone who's been in the Navy. I mean, needless to say, we travel a lot. And um, and I know that I'm not the only one that grapples a bit with um, the concern that if, if you were to totally lead a renounced life, people worried that it, it might be, I don't know how to put it any other way than say like they could get bored, right? You know, for instance, living in a, in a temple or something like that. Um, so I'm, do you consider traveling as, as being um, like my, my it or uh... <laughs> it depends on, like you said, it depends on the purpose of the travel. I'm laughing because uh -huh. the people that travel the most are the renunciates in this con. <laughs> yeah. <laughs> right. <laughs> um, yeah. I've noticed that. And, you know, we generally, I think what's sort of hard to get your mind to wrap around it, you think of, of traveling as being something that's kind of um, enlightened, right? I mean, you, you see the ways things are going on in other parts of the world and, and things of that nature. And yet, um, there's also this element of, especially the way we do it, as far as vacation, there's certainly a consumer aspect to it, you know. Right. Uh, yes, yeah, so there is a consumer aspect to it, um, and, uh, and and I see how this could tie into your other question because in retirement people often like to travel. Right, and travel, travel costs money. That and that was the the, the uh, central part of a lot of our yeah. I, I, get, I, I get the I get the line. I I I, I see the connection there. Mm -hmm. uh, absolutely. Um, well, it's funny because. Before I was a devotee, I think I had been to Europe once. Mm -hmm. And now I've been to like 53 countries mm -hmm. as, as a devotee and traveled all pretty much uh, everywhere, except for some reason I've never been to South America. But everywhere else, mm -hmm. 
uh, everywhere. Yeah, that's kind of like me too. Yeah. Everywhere else I've been to, uh, you know, I, even before the pandemic, I would go to India three times a year. Um, well, it, it, it depends. I think sometimes also as people get older, they sometimes lose a little bit of their travel bug if they've had it all throughout their life. But it depends on what you're traveling to. If you're traveling to a place of pilgrimage or a place of service to Krishna, then that is uh, one thing. If you're, um, and that is great. And if you're traveling to, or if you're traveling to a peaceful place that you can chant and you can read mm -hmm. in peace and you can get out of the city and, and things like that, that's also mm -hmm. great. Um, so it's so it's good to look at um, why do we want to travel? Mm -hmm. what, what's the purpose behind it? Uh, that might be a good discussion to have. Uh, mm -hmm. Is it just traveling for travel's sake, or varieties of spice of life, or or things yeah. of that nature, um, or is there um, uh, some other purpose to it? I mean, a lot of people travel because you know, yeah. Or is it for educational reasons? Or um, naturally, um, I've been lucky that most of the reasons that I travel have been for spiritual or for work. Um, before the pandemic, I, I was on the road up 110 days a year uh, for work. Um, and that was not usually, that wasn't like totally fun. It was great for the frequent flyer miles and the <laughs> hotel points, <laughs> things like that. Mm -hmm. kind of wear and tear on the body um but the other point to be made is that krishna's in our heart and we don't need to go anywhere uh to be linked yeah. with god, to be linked with god um and a high to pratiyata there's no there's nothing material that can stop us from developing our, our love for god the only thing that it's the only thing that stops us is ourselves. So if we have the karma where we can travel a lot or we can travel a little or we can travel none, then that that um, that that's something to discuss. Is that all right? Yeah, appreciate it. Okay, yeah. For most most people that I I, I find in general that devotees have traveled more than most people I know. <laughs> Yeah, it's, I think we have people that are on a path, and, and, and often that path at some point involved seeing the world to some extent. Yeah. You know, there's a yeah, and I, I, inquisitiveness that, that, you know, is. When my son was writing his first, um, I think, application for college, and, you know, one thing he, I think one, one essay that he wrote was about his travels, and he had been you know, back and forth to India 17 times. He had been in the Middle East. He had been all over Europe. <laughs> I mean, it's amazing for a kid who's 17 years old, uh, what he's done and all, you know, kind of connected with Krishna. And all over India, you know, because the Gurukul, they would go uh, to all kinds of places in India, South India, North India, here and there. Yeah. Okay, uh, let's continue then. Um, uh, we're on um, seven. The natural products created by the Supreme Personality of Godhead should be utilized to maintain the bodies and souls of all living entities. The necessities of life are of three types. Um, iPhone, I, no, no, that's what it says. Uh, those produced from the sky, 
from rainfall, from the earth, mines, the seas, the fields, in other words, all the food that we eat, all the clothing that we wear, and from the atmosphere, I'm not sure what that meant, from that which is obtained suddenly and unexpectedly. I wasn't quite clear what that meant here. But Prabhupada writes in the purport that everything within the material and spiritual worlds is a property of the Supreme Lord. So that's a good thing to also be mindful of that. We, we, you know, we have these possessions for this life, but actually, you know, ashes to ashes, dust to dust, and ultimately everything belongs to God. And therefore, everything has a relationship with him. Srila Rupa Goswami says in this regards, one who rejects anything without knowledge of its relationship to Krishna is incomplete in his renunciation. Although Mayavadi philosophers and personalists say that the material creation is false, actually it is not false. It is factual. But the idea that everything belongs to human society is false. Everything belongs to the Supreme Personality of Godhead, for, every, for everything is created by him. All living entities, being the Lord's sons, his eternal parts and parcels, have the right to use their father's property by nature's arrangement. As stated in the Upanishads, Tena Tartena Bunjitaha Magrihas Kastyasvidhanam. Uh, everyone should be satisfied with the things allotted him. Here's that point. <laughs> Isn't this amazing? This is, I, was, I don't even remember this sentence being there, um, Teen, but there it is. Everyone should be satisfied with the things allotted him by the Supreme Personality of Godhead. No one should encroach upon another's rights or property. I mean, imagine me. Like, Kenari and I had literally been discussing all these things I was talking to you about earlier in the day, and then... I get to reading this stuff. It's almost like, you know, uh, tailor-made yeah. as a response to our ongoing, you know. When I was uh, becoming a devotee, I wasn't living in the temple yet. And something would come up in my life. I would just close my eyes and open any page of the Bhagavad Gita. And not every time, but often, <laughs> there would be something on that page that would be like, speak to me. So yes, Krishna arranges things like that. Um, so this is this is real renunciation, um, and this is Rupa Goswami's genius, because renouncing things, renunciation, and impersonal knowledge that we're not our body are not parts of bhakti. Okay, they're not well. Well, they're not part of the sixty-four items of bhakti. Okay, they they, they don't because just renouncing things. Or understanding that I'm not this body, I'm the soul, does not directly help us think of Krishna. And sadhana bhakti, the essence of sadhana bhakti, is to always think of Krishna. So then the question comes up, because spiritualists all over the world say, well, renunciation is part of being spiritualist, right? Um, so how does renunciation fit in? Mm -hmm. It's a great question. So we... So the process that most, most um, tyagis or, or renunciates or impersonalists, they, they, they're, they're performing austerities often to get some realization that they're not their body, but not connected with, again, with, with Krishna. And, and it makes the heart hard. Austerities makes the heart hard because you're saying no, 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 right, all the time. Um, and we need a soft heart 
to, to you know, express our emotions and our love for Krishna. So how do we get the, uh, we don't, so we don't follow the process of renunciation, but we do seek the qualities of renunciation because we're thinking of Krishna's pleasure and we don't want to be focused always on our pleasure. So as Prabhupada is hinting at here in the purport and as is, is explained in more detail in the 14th chapter of the Nectar of Devotion, um, you do this by seeing everything in connection with Krishna. And so then you're renouncing it. You know, this is not my computer. It's not my car. I'm using this computer in Krishna's service. And I can, I can, take, I can use all kinds of material things if I'm using it in the right consciousness. So the, the, the mood of renunciation is there. It's not for my enjoyment. Um, but I'm seeing it as connected to Krishna, so it softens the heart. So this is a like, seriously brilliant way of looking at detachment <laughs> and, and renunciation. Yes, Shakshi Gopalpur. Thank you, Prabhu. I, I had this question and you're answering it. Uh, so the mood of renunciation that you mentioned um, in connection to Krishna is the bottleneck question I have. So I'm not doing it for myself. For example, today's Ekadashi, most of the people are fasting, devotees fast. And like, um, and like, I'm doing it because the Shastra is saying, because Prabhupada is saying. Right. And, uh, and there are some material benefits, like, you know, you get like good health and things like that. That's, that's material. But like, I, I'm just doing because Prabhupada is saying, uh-huh. this, this is how we connect with Krishna or like, is there is anything else that like uh, I should know? Well, I think you know the answer to that because we the extra time that you're saving from eating meals um, use that uh, in reading or chanting. Then you're fulfilling the actual purpose of a kasi. Prabhupada told Bury Prabhu that one time. You know that uh, and he said, um, and we saw with Hari Sari Prabhu writes in his diary that he was, it was uh, Kartika. So he took a vow to, um, I think, eat one meal a day and sleep less. And his service was to massage Prabhupada. And he saw that he was not massaging him well and almost falling asleep. And Prabhupada was not happy with that. And so he said, well, to heck with this fasting, to heck with this truck. Let me do whatever it takes to do my service properly. So our service on these days is to try to increase our hearing and chanting, especially on a Sunday where we don't have to work. Um, so that's the essence uh, of it. So our, uh, and, and then we can fast uh, as uh, an offering to Krishna. You know, it's a day. So this is Krishna. This is your day. It's a kadasi. So I'm offering you this little austerity of fasting, at least fasting from grains and beans. Um, like that. So we try to do those austerities for, for Krishna. Is that all right? Thank or you. No? Yeah. Yeah. So that so that's that's the real thing. Otherwise, we we um, perform austerities and then we, you know, it's kind of, it can be like it kind of like what you were saying, Prabhu. It can be like um uh, Niyamadraha, like just going through the emotions. Um without uh, understanding the purpose behind it. But you did mention something, Prabhu, that is, is very important. You're doing it because Prabhupada Shastra says that. So that is what Vaidhi Sadhana Bhakti is. We're not, we're not at the, when we're practicing Vaidhi, we're not at the level of doing everything for Krishna's service, but still we're following the instructions of his pure devotee 
following instructions he's given in the Shastra. And we make advancement by following those rules and regulations, not blindly, but with the purpose of always remembering Krishna and never forgetting him. Thank you. Okay, so um, we uh, will start on verse number eight next week. Uh, I hope you have a, a very, there's a lot. Let's see what's today is. So um, next week includes, I don't know if should, next week is Prabhupada's disappearance day. So I don't know if we're going to have class or, you know, because um, there's a program at the temple, of course, celebrating Prabhupada's or these bittersweet celebration of Prabhupada's disappearance. I think it's from 12 to three. So um, maybe we, maybe we can meet for an hour. I'll, I'll send out an email, but maybe we can meet for an hour from 1030 to 1130. Um, but maybe we should, um, yeah, I'll, I'll check and think about it. And I'll send out an email. Okay. In other words, it's Prabhupada's disappearance day, but not our disappearance day. Right, right, right. Um, so it's a wonderful week. It's uh, it's Diwali. It's uh, which is you know for us even more as Jiva was kind of trying to point out it ha the pastimes happens many times, but we we celebrate uh, the Damodar Lila on on Diwali, and then we have Govardhan Puja, which is such a happy celebration. And then Srila Prabhupada's disappearance day next Sunday. So I'll send out an email about that. Um, but um, I hope you have a wonderful uh, spiritual uh, during this very special week. And Hare Krishna. Thank you. Thank you. Hare Krishna. Hare Krishna.